A man in Wilton, Connecticut named Gary Clark told a remarkable story in guideposts a few years back. He said that one night in 1975, he made a new friend at a local restaurant. This new friend, his name was Steve Barbin, happened to be seated at the next table. And well, they got to talking, and by the time they finished their burgers, they pushed their tables together and were well on the way to becoming best friends. They grew so close that they finished each other's sentences, and they shared belly laughs and jokes that well, no one else seemed to get. <laughs> Even the rhythms of their speech seemed identical. They were so close that at Steve's wedding, Gary told Steve he was truly his brother. Of course, that was just a figure of speech. Gary said his parents had tried for years to have a child before he came along, and they called him their gift from God. Steve, on the other hand, was adopted. Now, Steve had known this for many years, and told Gary of, of all the great experiences of being adopted. But for some reason, it surprised Gary that Steve was adopted. Well, Gary and Steve had been best buddies for 23 years, when out of the blue in December 1998, Gary got a phone call from a woman with the Connecticut Department of Children and Families. She needed to confirm Gary's name and birth date. You should probably sit down before I tell you why I'm calling, she said. Did you know that you were adopted? Are you sure you have the right Gary Clark? Gary asked. Well, she persisted. Believe me, she said, I wouldn't do this if I weren't sure. One of your biological siblings needs urgent medical information from his family. <laughs> Gary was floored. His parents had always treated him like he was their own biological child, never once saying he was adopted. He just assumed they wanted to protect him somehow. In all of my years in this work, I've never seen a case like this, the lady from the state agency went on. Your biological parents lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut. They had 13 children, and nine of them were adopted by other families. Is there someone besides your parents you can talk to about this? Someone you're close to? Well, my buddy Steve is adopted and he's okay with it. So I guess I will be too once I have some time to get over it. What's Steve's last name, she asked. Barbin, he said. Gary said the lady from the state agency, Steve is your brother. What an amazing story. Our lessons from the writings of St. Paul to the Ephesians today is about adoption. And the people who are adopted are you and me. Paul says in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Think about that. God's motivation was love. And so he predestined us to be his children. Now, don't stumble over the word predestined. That's for another sermon. So maybe the word chosen would better suit our definition. So here's the good news for the day. God has chosen us to be his own adopted children. Biblically, the concept of adoption is an interesting metaphor. I mean, you won't find the word adoption anywhere in the Old Testament. 
Adoption was just not practiced in the Old Testament world, at least not by the Jews. Neither was it a practice among Jews in New Testament times. Jesus never used the term adoption, nor is the word used in any of the four Gospels. So adoption is a concept that Paul introduced from his own background as a Roman citizen. Because it was quite common in the Roman world for wealthy families who didn't have sons to adopt one in order to have someone to inherit their property. Girls weren't adopted in that time since under Roman law they could not inherit property. So it was a very special thing in the Roman world to be adopted. And it's still a very special thing to be adopted today. A little girl came home from school one day very sad. Her mother, sensing that something was wrong, trying to find out what the problem was. At first, the little girl didn't want to talk about it. But finally, through her tears, she told how she had been made fun of at school by some of the other kids because she was adopted. No one really loves you, the children taunted her. So her adopted mother held her in her arms, slowly rocking her and telling her daughter just how much she was loved. She explained to her daughter that mommies and daddies who have children of their own love them, but they have no choice about the children that they will have. They simply get what they get. We, on the other hand, the mother explained, chose you. We looked and searched, and out of all the children we saw, we chose you. That's how much we loved you from the first time we laid eyes on you. It's a special thing to be adopted. The Apostle Paul says that you and I, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, have been adopted by God. That's why we are heirs of every good thing God has. We're God's adopted children. We are specially chosen because God wants children with which to share his love. But notice that there is a purpose to our adoption. We were adopted to be holy and blameless in God's sight. Paul writes, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. It's a word we don't use much in the church anymore, holy. Oh, it's all right to say God is holy. In fact, we ought to take God's holiness more seriously. We're just uncomfortable applying those words to ourselves. I mean, who wants to be a holy Joe or a holy Larry? <laughs> I mean, there was a time when it was common to make fun of some of our more enthusiastic fellow Christians as holy rollers. Who wants to be called a holy roller? The most common place we see the term holy today is used in the derisive phrase holier than thou. Nobody wants to be called holier than thou. It indicates that, well, hey, we look down on others, that we revel in a sense of moral superiority. And so because of the unfortunate connotations that the word holy has acquired, well, let's substitute the word excellent. That is, Christians are called to live an excellent life. We should excel in faithfulness, in generosity, and most importantly, we should excel in love. When we seek after 
excellence in these things, we don't feel ourselves to be superior to anyone. Indeed, when we excel as Christ excelled, we seek to be a servant to others. Several years ago, there was an article in a national magazine about a number of religious conventions that were held in a certain Midwestern city that summer. The local citizens, of course, couldn't have been happier. There was a, a Sergeant Hayden Kirk, a, a police traffic supervisor, who tells us why. He said that he was impressed by a woman who, after getting out of her car, noticed that a facial tissue had fallen out. She went back over and picked it up. Now, when's the last time you saw that, he said. He also said the trash collectors found that conventioneers had stacked refuse in neat piles next to containers when they became filled. And parking lot attendants didn't have to argue with delegates when they were asked to put their cars in certain spaces. <laughs> Recalling how some other conventions turned into shouting matches because the visitors were unruly and demanding, Kirk summed it up. But these folks were terrific. <laughs> now I know these are small things, but they represent a little of what we mean by excellence in living. We are to seek after excellence in all things. St. Paul says we were predestined, we were chosen to be holy and blameless. But notice how he qualifies the words holy and blameless. He writes, For God chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. What a beautiful statement. We could put it like this. In God's eyes, we look as if we have never done anything wrong. How do we get those white robes that the writer of Revelation says we will wear when we surround God's throne in glory? They're white because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Holiness is not something we earn, but something that is bestowed upon us by God because of what Christ has done in our behalf. We call that grace. Pastor Mickey Andrews shares a story I want to share with you. It was back on the internet a while back. Now, we don't know who wrote it, but it's interesting because he says it's a true story. So, it's a letter written to a man on death row. The letter was written by the father of the man who was killed by the death row prisoner, and the letter goes like this. You're probably surprised that I, of all people, am writing a letter to you. But I ask you to read it in its entirety and consider its request seriously. As the father of the man whom you took part in murdering, I have something very important to say to you. I forgive you. With all my heart, I forgive you. I realize it may be hard for you to believe, but I really do. At your trial, when you confessed to your part in the events that cost my son his life, and you asked for my forgiveness, I immediately granted you that forgiving love from my heart. I can only hope that you believe me and will accept my forgiveness. But this is not all that I have to say to you. I want to make you an offer. I want you to become my adopted child. You see, my son who died was my only child, and I now want to share my life with you and leave my riches to you. 
I know this may not make sense to you or anyone else, but I believe that you are worth the offer. I've arranged matters so that if you will receive my offer of forgiveness, not only will you be pardoned for your crime, but you will also be set free from your imprisonment and your sentence of death will be dismissed completely. At that point, you will become my adopted child and heir to all my riches. I realize this is a risky offer for me to make to you. And you might be tempted to reject my offer completely. But I make it to you without reservation. Also, I realize it may seem foolish to make such an offer to one who cost my son his life. But I now have a great love and an unchangeable forgiveness in my heart for you. Finally, you may be concerned that once you accept my offer, you may do something to cause you to be denied your rights as an heir to my wealth. Nothing could be further from the truth. If I can forgive you for your part in my son's death, I can forgive you for anything. I know you never will be perfect, but you don't have to be perfect to receive my offer. Besides, I believe that once you have accepted my offer and begin to experience the riches that will come to you from me, that your primary, though not always response, will be gratitude and loyalty. Some would call me foolish for my offer to you, but I wish for you to call me your father. Signed, Sincerely, the Father of Jesus. My friends, that's what it's all about. We have been adopted by God to become holy and blameless in God's sight. We've been called to excellence in living. And so our city ought to be a better city. Our family ought to be a better family. Our church ought to be a better church just because we are here. Why? Because we have a Heavenly Father who looks at us with the eyes of love and forgiveness. God looks at us as if we have never in our lives done anything wrong. And in response to that love, we in turn give God our best. What a world this would be if all of God's children did exactly that. Amen.